Hi and welcome back to Contracast. This is episode two. My name is Kat Boyd and I'm joined again with my co-host David Jameson. How's it going? Um, fine. Um, have you had any good feedback from episode one? Um, no. <laughs> no, you? Yeah, and my mum said she didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. She also said that our promo pack looked rude and that your microphone looks like a dildo. <laughs> yeah, uh, it kind of does. Anything more positive than that? Um, more positive. Well, Pat Kane said that our promo pick looked like we were going for an, an inherent vice film. Uh-huh. Um, either that or it's a parallel universe where Liz Taylor and Stalin are pre-cocktails, uh-huh. which I liked a lot. Uh-huh. I saw Frankie Boyle liked it. Yeah. Or as I call him, Francis. <laughs> Obviously, that's uh, just the kind of part of friends like me. <laughs> um, I also got some feedback from some people I work with. Um, who uh, said that it was too jokey. Right, okay. Uh, well, that's unfortunate because the pilot episode was just sort of tentative in its grotesqueness yeah. and ugliness and lack of seriousness about it's the situation. It's just going to get worse, isn't it? So it's only going to get yeah. worse. I think we're going to try and push the boundaries with every episode. You're just desperate to get cancelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this uh, this is actually a project to allow me to retire uh, from <laughs> my, bla- in my, a blaze of glory. Yeah, from my very meagre uh, stock in uh, public life by getting cancelled by some lefties. Maybe I'll cancel you. That would be like the plot twist. Yeah, I'll just an episode where I like announce that you're cancelled. Yeah, <laughs> a lot has happened since our our last episode. Uh huh. Democracy is now ended. Yeah. Um, Democracy is officially over. It's officially over. If you're listening to this podcast, you're listening to a sort of underground French resistance style podcast. Yeah. Because we don't live in a democracy because there has been a coup. Yeah. That will go down in history, along with Franco's seizure of power in Spain. Pinochet. Pinochet in Chile. And numerous others, uh, all of which involved widespread slaughter or in this particular case... Um, protests attended by Mr Blobby. Yeah. Um, everyone who says that this is a coup, you can tell the, the, the really genuine commitment they have to that concept by their determination to dress, turn up dressed up as Mr Blobby, various cartoon characters, and to write vociferous slogans on cardboard... <laughs> In glitter pen. Um, <laughs> Listen, I've got a picture here, which I did share on Twitter. I might share it again because it's it, it just keeps getting better every time I look at it. And it's a picture from one of the protests against this horrific coup. And it's a picture of Mr Blobby, the red Teletubby, and the Marshmallow Man. But it's such a shit costume that it looks like the Marshmallow Man is having a stroke. <laughs> Um, and the placards read in that order Boris gives me a crinkly bottom <laughs> Teletubbies uh, say uh oh mm. and strokey marshmallow man is uh, who you gonna call not Boris with a little EU flag on the placard this stuff annoys me on a, on a number of levels though not just because it sort of proves that everyone who says that we are uh, going through a coup knows that we're not, although, you know, we can get back to exactly what it is. But it's also just the endless cascade of sort of irony and just crap humour protests. I remember the days when a strange political sect would churn out 
tens of thousands of placards with completely banal slogans on yeah general strike now TUC off your knees that sort of thing that sort of stuff um you know unite and fight the classics yeah uh one solution revolution (laughs) (laughs) and that that was naff and people complained about it but you've got to ask what's the alternative and the the alternative alternative is Boris gives me a crinkly bottom yeah now see actually like that tells you a lot about the demographic of those protests which I thought were uniformly quite like the demographic is old Mm -hmm. it's not like the the oldest most middle class most white demonstrations that I've ever looked at yeah yeah Um, because people don't remember Noel's house party Mm -hmm. even like one of my friends who's like roughly the same age as me was trying to describe this picture to me he was like yeah there's like a picture of Mr Blobby holding a sign saying Boris gives me a crinkly bum and I'm like that's not (laughs) the joke (laughs) yeah but actually the Scottish version annoys me more I cannot stand to see let's be honest typically English art school students holding a cardboard placard that says something like oh no Boris Johnson is a pure fanny it's the worst it's utterly excruciating and this is why I'm forced to retreat into the reformation right (laughs) because John Knox didn't even know what irony was John Knox would never have held a placard that said oh no the Pope is a pure fanny (laughs) or the Pope what a minger or something like that I will not have a bad word said about the Pope that's actually I realise that's probably our dynamic it's uh-huh. like I'm like the Pope and you're John Knox well I mean <laughs> I mean we, th- th- this 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 clash will probably come out uh, on a podcast one day you know but the point is that uh, yeah there would have been none of that nonsense in those days no you know no now, now you have to have this and do you know what it is it's embarrassment about politics yeah. You, but this is this is what you're telegraphing to people. I'm not serious about what I'm doing. I'm embarrassed that I'm protesting. See through this whole Brexit thing, there has been that consistent thing of I wouldn't normally protest. I should be sipping a latte right now. Yeah. Right? See, did you see that other video um, that was on Twitter? And it's like these kind of like Remain protesters. I think that they're outside Parliament and they're singing, "We're not going to Brexit." Oh God! Like yeah. it's so brutal, and there's a guy in a Lib Dems T-shirt doing like a sort of really daft, ironic dance. Yeah, it's so cringe, right? It's, but I yeah. think that what bothers me most about it is that out of all the issues, out of the last decade of harrowing austerity that's destroyed people's lives, out of everything that's happened. Like like Grenfell, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that this is the issue. Mm-hmm. Brexit is the issue that yeah. they have decided to get involved in politics over. And yeah. maybe there it should be some embarrassment about that. And it's explicit as well because um, you know, you could say, Oh, I bet these people were pissed off about, you know, the Iraq war or something. Well, I kinda have the feeling that they're not because they're all cheering, you know, in one of the largest people's vote demonstrations, they were cheering, you know, Alistair Campbell. So I, I rather think not. To See, be I don't like when I remember like those protests against the war in Iraq. I don't remember like any sort of joviality about it. Like I don't no, remember no. like a kind of cuteness. I don't remember people dressed up as like nineties TV characters. There was a sincerity to it. There were some liberals on those demonstrations, and I remember because there was a there was a moment of we love France stuff, right? And I remember seeing people with homemade baguettes that said uh, "Make bread, not war." 
But yeah, in general, that was a movement where that was much more working class in its character. People often forget that because they reimagine it as a pacifist movement, right? But see if you draw a million people out into the streets, most of those people yeah. are, are, are working class. It was a genuine mass movement, which yeah. this isn't. Although they like the kind of stop the coup stuff, it's not. Um, it's not a mass movement. Yeah, and I recognise as well that there are uh, people, you know, on the left saying, you know, we need, we need to, ch- we need to. The slogan needs to be to remove Boris Johnson from office because it's not like what Boris Johnson's doing isn't demented. It's just that it's in line with the British Constitution. Yes, well, this is like this is the thing that I found quite interesting is that people who were like, "Oh, this is you know, defend democracy." Yeah. This is like anti-British, uh-huh. and I'm like, no, <laughs> this is the essence yeah, this of is the, British this democracy. Is the apex of British democracy. Like, yeah. See, during the independence referendum, I remember when people like us, like involved in radical independence, we were going round making arguments about the nature of the British state. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we make that argument now that whilst like, a lot of us would support a Corbyn-led government mm-hmm. like in Westminster, there are parts of the British state, the real reactionary, archaic parts, that you cannot vote away. Yeah. And that, do you know what I mean? The monarchy, the House of Lords, like these kind of like constitutional frameworks. Yeah. Like, these are the parts that you can't get rid of because they're inherent in British democracy. Yeah. What Boris has done is skillfully use that for his own agenda. Yes. Um, and, and None of this is anti-British. This is, like, classic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, so now there's quite a, a real polarisation between people in the socialist left saying, oppose Boris Johnson's government, have a general election, and you'll push for that on the streets uh, and so on. And then a liberal wing of the movement that wants to defend the parliament uh, and defend the role of the constitutional monarch and pursue this through the courts and try and form some... I mean, and there are still people, among them, for example, Paul Mason, who are still saying, don't do a general election, instead have this weird lash-up technocratic government led by a bunch of people in the Lib Dems or something that no one has mm-hmm. ever voted for. By the way, that would re- resemble more a coup than this. Yeah. So that, that, that there's a really dangerous situation developing where democracy, democratic ideas related to the mass of, of the population are being cheapened and diminished by two wings who are sort of supportive of different parts of the ruling class, essentially. And on top of all that, of course, one of the institutions of the British state or closely related to the British state, which traditionally you couldn't vote against, was the EU. Yeah. Yeah. So, so foregrounding the EU is, yeah. is, you know... But did you see who else is calling for uh, saying that there shouldn't be a general election? Who? Tony Blair. Yes. Tony's uh, back. Tony Blair uh, was saying that future generations would not forgive him for not providing <laughs> his glistening insights into the current Brexit. Honestly, impasse. that... I can't get over that... The kind of like the soundbite quote, which is like, you know, in 20, 30 years' time, I don't want people to be saying, What were you doing? Yeah. And like, Tony, <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, babes, right? In 20, 30, 40, 100 years' time, you will be remembered for the war in Iraq. Yeah. Like, that, that is your legacy. And actually, watching that Channel 4 clip, like, it just enrages me. Mm-hmm. It also, do you know what, well, out of all of the people in public life who have been cancelled, <laughs> yeah. Blair isn't one of them. And no. this is a man who actually has blood on his hands. 
Yeah. And like the fact that there is any chance that he might be rehabilitated or brought into any type of quote unquote progressive movement yeah. is like that's abhorrent to me. But that is very much of the nature of this whole cancelling thing that in certain circles, including on the supposed left, supposedly radical left, someone like Chris Williamson uh, was cancelled a good while ago, right? And there were people, again, supposedly on the left, calling for him to be kicked out of the Labour Party. There were no such calls for Tony Blair to be kicked out of the Labour Party. Do you know who I would have kicked out of the Labour Party? Yeah. See all the MPs right now who are going on radio and TV saying that there shouldn't be a general election mm-hmm. and have them kicked out. Yeah. See, to me, like they're acting in pure self-interest. They don't want a general election because they think they might lose their seat. Yeah. But the last three years, the Labour Party, I think, has run a line which is, yes, Brexit is a mess, but Britain is a mess. Mm-hmm. Like, universal credit is a mess. Mm-hmm. And the, the jobs market is a mess. Like, there's no industrial strategy in Britain. We have massive, like, poverty and um, all of these things. And the NHS in England, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, been wholesale privatised. Yeah. And the only way to fix that is to have a Labour government yeah or what i'm calling a corbyn-led government yeah right? because i think the alliance between labor and the smp would be probably quite a healthy thing mm. but they've been running that line and that's the that's correct mm-hmm. i mean of course brexit is a total mess but at the end of the day if you're someone on universal credit if you're being hammered if you're struggling to pay the bills if you're struggling to like feed your family then What's happening, these constitutional wranglings yeah. between like essentially a liberal elite and the far right of the Tories, like where is the, the left in this to say, no, we need a general election? There mm-hmm. are parts of the left who are saying, we need a general election now mm-hmm. and we need to have a change of government. Mm-hmm. But that's, that, that's the most important thing for me. Yeah. And the fact that you've got Labour MPs saying we shouldn't be having a general election, yeah. like they should be deselected. No, absolutely. For the liberal element, the Brexit thing dwarfs everything else because it's become so subcultural. It's become a major cultural assumption of uh, the kind of liberal left that Brexit is the worst catastrophe which could befall our society. Worse than austerity, worse than the war on terror, and it's total nonsense. But it does also speak to the fact that Brexit is one of the first items of that, that that crisis that's been going on in British society for a long time, which will touch new layers of society, it's telling that fucking EU supergirl protests Brexit by interrailing, by that you get people complaining about the loss of Erasmus scholarships, right? There's a real feeling in parts of the middle class, these are the people who have never protested before and all that kind of stuff, that for the first time, the dysfunctional nature of British politics and the British state will affect them. It will affect their holidays. It will affect uh, their ability to buy foreign currency. It will affect their children's ability to study abroad. It will endanger their holiday home. That's why these people weren't protesting during austerity and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not moralising in, 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 in reverse about that, but let's just be honest. I'm you are moralising. <laughs> yeah. I'm wagging my fucking finger at them like John Knox. Knox yeah. <laughs> Where were you? But, like, let's be honest about what that represents. Because you hear some people almost sort of celebrating this, like, well, you can tell there's a really profound radicalisation 
to the left in society now mm. because even financial the Financial Times is calling for the government to be overthrown and all these Guardianistas are pouring out onto the streets and saying words like bollocks. I love all that stuff as well. Listen, yeah. see that bollocks to Brexit sticker? <laughs> yeah. Like, every time I see it, there's a little bit of vomit that rises yeah. up inside Someone me. Someone wants to describe that to me as uh, it makes Lib Dems think that they can be the pro-whisperer. Do you know what I mean? That word. <laughs> Because they think that, like, the, the, the vulgar sentiments that appeal, appeal to the mob with Brexit, they can take that on and they can have, like, a vulgar remain thing by Ooh, using the word... Bollocks to Brexit! <laughs> yeah, bollocks. Uh, <laughs> that is the dirtiest one that they can come up with. <laughs> you know. Um, and, and presumably, as the, the coup goes on, they'll end up with slogans like Brexit is felch and stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just to, just, to, just to kind of escalate. Stop trying to make felch happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. What I see happening is that the right wing of the Tories are almost, they are driving the left agenda, the left's agenda. Mm-hmm. So like the organised and disorganised left, I mean that in a kind of broad sense. The Tories and the right of the Tories are essentially bouncing the left into a position where they the left is allying with the liberal elite yeah. the liberal consensus and like the professional middle class which makes the left and including like the radical left like mm. those radical parts of the left it's it, sort of bringing us into a corrupt and dysfunctional political class mm-hmm. which people are angry at yeah. like there is i feel like there is simmering anger at the political establishment across Britain mm. which the left has kind of been like pulled away from yes. do you know what I mean like and I think that like when it comes to populist movements there's a duty of the left to shape those movements when they arise mm-hmm. and pull them to a particular direction like yeah. pull them towards the left so radical independence I think is quite a good example of that like mm-hmm. intervening in a populist movement mm-hmm. but now I feel like the left even like elements of the radical left are being like sort of subsumed into this liberal agenda mm-hmm. and it's really dangerous I think for progressive ideas yeah no I, I totally agree with that and I do think it's strategic on their part look but people like Boris Johnson and before him Theresa May have been trying to say for a cup for four years that Labour's the true Remain party, right? Mm. And that should have sent clear warning signals to people on the left that, that that's precisely what they wanted the Labour Party to become. Because let's be honest, like people are mingling slogans against the anti-democratic behaviour of the Tory party and for getting rid of Boris Johnson. They're mingling that with the stop Brexit stuff. Mm. And uh, Boris Johnson's only retort to those protests need be, these aren't people who are against the prorogation of Parliament. These are people who are against the prorogation of Parliament because they're against Brexit. And they've been trying to stop it for years. Yeah. So this is the irony of having these protests called Defend Democracy mm. when they are organised by a group of people who for the last three years have been saying, we want another referendum. Yeah, yeah. We want another, like, I mean, regardless of how you feel about the outcome of the 2016 um, referendum on Europe, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that happened. And, you know, now we have people, the same group of people who've been arguing for another referendum saying, defend democracy. 
Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. It's very, me. it's very easy to take down, right? And what I find astonishing about this situation as well is, you know, actually Boris Johnson is not in a strong position. He's no. in a weak position, but he's lucky in his enemies. Yeah. See, this is the thing: is like the ruling class is in a very difficult situation. They are facing so, like the ruling class, like you know what I mean when I'm talking about that. But just like kind of to explain, I mean like the ruling class, like the capitalist class, yeah. who are traditionally represented, their interests represented by the Tory party. They are currently facing Brexit. So you look at what the CBI is saying about Brexit. They are saying, we want like no Brexit or the softest possible Brexit. Like the ruling class, like those capitalist interests don't want Brexit. But the other option is Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn. Like, they don't want him either. So this is a huge crisis mm-hmm. for those interests. Yeah. It's a, I think it, there's a really big opportunity for the left there. Mm-hmm. The ruling class is, is, is very much cornered. Yes, yes. But but on the left, you can actually see the, the, the diverging strategies sort of pulling strategically at the left. So... Uh, this is being recorded on Tuesday, which means that in a, by the time you're hearing this, it's totally out of date. But the, there will be a protest going on tonight uh, that brings together both the socialists who both supported Leave and Remain, more or less. Yeah, equally. this is the People's Assembly. Yeah, uh, calling for the removal of Boris Johnson's government and a general election with a kind of twin strategy, both like on the streets and pushing for a general election in the parliament, which is the obvious next step. But there are people who who are from our generation on the left who aren't going on it, who were originally on it and have pulled out uh, on the basis that some of the people on there support Brexit, including an RMT trade unionist who supports a no-deal Brexit. This is that. Eddie Dempsey. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I didn't really know much about Eddie Dempsey before this kicked off. Mm-hmm. So I saw that on Twitter the Ashakar and Owen Jones were both like saying that they weren't going to be on this platform, I believe, because Eddie Dempsey was on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Eddie Dempsey's an elected trade union leader. Yeah. And I find it kind of like surprising that, you know, we now, like, there's parts of the left that set boundaries on sharing platforms with elected trade union leaders like that. I do think that that's worrying. Yeah. Because, I mean, for... The trade trade union movement's problems, they are still the biggest democratic organisations of the working class. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that really matches that. Yeah. Um, like, voluntary joining of trade unions is mm-hmm. still a massive part of working class organisation. And there's been a degree of adaptation to the, the I mean, I dare say we're going to return to this time again, but the kind of, the wokeness culture thing, which, I'm sorry, I think is a, there is a significant element of that, which is a sort of, moral economy between middle class people well it is because what i see now is like engaging in that kind of like very like pc culture and by the way i don't mean having like anti-racist and anti-sexist views like that's not what i'm saying what i'm talking about is the using those things like to be the most woke if you like i wish i had a better word for that Uh but like to be the most like kind of right on Mm -hmm. has become currency it's become a type of social currency Mm -hmm. if you want to get ahead in the professional classes you have to invoke that 
Yeah. You have to like, you know, be paying in that currency. Mm-hmm. So it just makes people even more and more detached and then resentment's built. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, about this. I mean, this is, I wish that we had as the left, like better language around this because I don't want to say things like virtue signaling. Yeah. Like I don't want to use those phrases, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. But I also, I also think that this is part of a kind of wider neurosis on the left perhaps in our generation as well which is the 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 real purpose of involvement in politics and in public affairs is moral hygiene there's a really strange idea that's sort of developed on the left that you can say that what you did was just or right or successful if after the end of 30 or 40 years of political engagement you can say that you never hurt anyone (laughs) <laughs> you, can, you can say that well at least I never quote unquote threw anyone under a bus yeah I mean I it's, think it, it's, it's a bizarre understanding of what is involved in, in, in political life yeah I mean I do think that there is a degree of like um, personal responsibility within all political movements about mm. how we treat each other mm-hmm. so like back in the old days mm. um, when you had like socialist Sunday schools and they had um, their own version of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Like, I quite like that sort of stuff. Um, we're probably going to come across, like, religious zealots now that we've yeah. done the Pope John Knox and the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um, but there's one in, the like, the um, Socialist Sunday schools where they have the Socialist Commandments. And one of them, which is something that I think about in my own kind of, like, political affairs, is, um, like, be courteous to all respect good people mm-hmm. but bow down to none and that for me is like a really like nice explanation of how I try and like conduct myself in politics like I'm not going to be deliberately discourteous to any individual mm-hmm. like, regardless of their views like if they are expressing reactionary views I actually want to engage with that mm-hmm. I don't want to tell them that they are racist I don't want them to be cancelled like I want to bring them in mm-hmm. to like discuss like where these ideas come from and like present them with how I see the world and like you know actually have a conversation mm-hmm. but you know I don't want to like shut people out of the conversation and I think that that's a really good way of doing it that doesn't mean that like you go around what's the word I'm looking for it's sort of accommodating to everything yeah I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to validate mm-hmm. people's reactionary views and say that's okay because you're left wing on all the other issues mm-hmm. I'm going to challenge it but I'm going to do that in a way which is courteous yeah like not tell someone that they're stupid which mm-hmm. let's be honest a lot of remainers have been doing to people who voted leave yeah, for yeah. the last three years yeah what like, was that what was that awful hand-drawn um placard it was like 48 percent sense and sensibility 52 percent pride and prejudice oh, oh, that is oh that is... <laughs> see though i want to continue on the uh god botherers podcast though right because uh <laughs> It does strike me as interesting that what you often see on the left, and I mean that really broadly conceived to include sort of like liberal middle class society and stuff like that as well, is morality cults, but because they're sort of secular morality, they're actually inferior to the models of morality that they're drawing on. So Christian morality, right, is about redemption. It's about like, you know, there's this famous thing in like uh, Christian moral theology that is, you're saved if you believe. Mm. You're not saved because of what you do. You're saved because of what you're trying to do, mm. right? In in kind of modern morality cults, there's no concept of that. 
which is why you get this really neurotic pursuit of sort of moral cleanliness, of kind of moral hygiene, of never being embarrassed, of never being seen to engage in behaviour that, that people can point to and say yeah. that was wrong. But like, I also think that when I'm talking about like the professional middle classes and like how um, being like totally right on is a, is a type of currency, I don't think that that actually changes people's views. Mm-hmm. Like if you have to perform a certain type of language and you have to say certain things in order to get ahead, mm-hmm. which is being very politically correct and mm-hmm. blah, 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 but that doesn't actually change what you think. Like, I bet yeah. there, there are hundreds of thousands of people who perform a right-on being in their like work life and their social life and all of these kind of settings who hold deeply reactionary views. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that is very much a symptom of, like, centrism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's how the centre operates, is that people are, like, using, like, a kind of political correctness culture to get ahead and to, you know, uphold themselves as members of the professional class, but inside they're actually very reactionary. Mm-hmm. And that tends to then express itself in like the hegemonic racisms of the time so like islamophobia for example is yeah. rampant in the political center yeah 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 like rampant like yeah. you see that with you know good old murdering tony blair yeah and and you know as you're saying about like uh, a lot of these remain manifestations it's exposed to me in a way that i ne- you know i didn't understand before just in what little value basic democratic ideas are actually held you know what I mean? Mm. We're not actually a, a, a society where those ideas are, are very universally respected, that everyone deserves a say and everyone deserves a voice. Almost as soon as that vote happened uh, in 2016, there were people saying, restrict the franchise. Sometimes half vote, uh, jokingly, sometimes not all. It's... I think that, that is really dangerous. The referendum, whether you, again, like, whether you agree with the result or you don't agree with the result or whether, like myself, that you didn't participate in that referendum, mm. which is something that I stand by. And mm. um, it doesn't make me different from, like, half the population of Glasgow. Yeah. You can't then just treat people like children. Like, there's a reason children don't vote. Yeah. Right? Like, we're not saying, like, extend the franchise to kids right Mm. because people who are voting in that like are you know they're participating in democracy and whether you like or dislike the result then like you can't just dismiss it and say like everyone is stupid they were lied to therefore that result is invalid i think that that is a very dangerous argument for anyone on the left to be making particularly yeah what else what else are we talking about oh yeah i wanted to I go back to this this thing about like um, Eddie Dempsey and the kind of like people pulling out of that platform because he was on it. What I would really like to say is that I'm not judging people for pulling out. Mm. I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> I love to judge. You love to judge. But what I'm saying is that in Scotland, during the independence referendum, we deployed the same tactic. We made decisions not to share platforms with certain individuals mm-hmm. um, on points of principle, and it didn't work. Of course not. It doesn't work. <laughs> like, yeah. The radical left in Scotland is not in a stronger position in any way for deploying that tactic. No. I mean, there are several things I think that because of the way that the movement worked in Scotland, because you had this kind of like explosion in a populist movement in Scotland around the independence referendum which was pulled to the left 
which kind of like hit those kind of three glory points of being and um, like disintegrationist in terms of we want to separate ourselves from the British state mm-hmm. that was inclusive that was do you know what I mean like regardless of like your sex your race your gender your sexuality like you're part of our movement and we will amplify the voices of the oppressed and it was redistributionist do you know what I mean it hit those three sort of like really sweet spots that kind of explosion in populism like kind of meant that the radical left in Scotland for a while was leading the way mm. I think in the UK of like or Britain rather of like left wing politics and then when you have like Corbynism and the EU referendum and that's definitely like focus well Corbynism is an English phenomenon mm, like anyway yeah. like I feel that there are things that happened in Scotland like lessons that we learned that I would love to like impart <laughs> to mm. like our comrades in England mm. and that's one of them is like having like a purity of platforms yeah. is not a good tactic no it obviously isn't but it is this is the thing though it's not a good tactic if what you want to do is grow and expand the influence of the left and diminish the influence of reactionary ideas. It's not a good thing to do. But if what you want to do is wash your hands of the difficulties of the world so that you're not smeared with the filth of the world, <laughs> then it is the right thing to do, right? If what you want to do is remain clean. <laughs> smeared with the filth of the world like a direct quote from John Knox. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I know exactly what you mean like that the, there will always be this debate and there will always be people who enjoy mongering that debate yeah. as well yeah. right but you have to make a, a decision about what it is that you're trying to do honestly I can think of few people I wouldn't share uh, platforms with besides like fascists yeah and out and out reactions yeah. and I also just think we know we don't live in a world where like this weird thing about like the only way you can communicate with large groups of people at a time is to stand on a platform with them. Yeah. You don't live in that world. Yeah. Like, uh, it's not, it's not in your, uh, it's not in your gift to deplatform someone in that kind of way, uh, and it's a meaningless gesture politics. I mean, to be fair, to be national, they only deplatform themselves. Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, who's on your uh, fantasy platform? So it's me. Uh huh. George Galloway. Uh huh. Uh, Chris Williamson. Uh huh. Uh, Greer. Who else? John Knox, the resurrected corpse of... <laughs> the resurrected, reanimated corpse of John Knox. Yeah. And the worst of them all, David Jameson. <laughs> your co-host. Um, Who's your do you know what? Look, I love the fact that you've got like a completely ungender balanced panel there. It's a, it's a hardcore manal. It's, well, you've got Jermaine Greer on there. Yeah, that's true. But, you know... She's she's bringing in our whole own dynamic there, obviously. Oh yeah, like I do have a fantasy dinner party mm-hmm. list, but it does include Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'm fascinated by Nixon because he's king of the bad bastards. Uh huh. And also because you can get it on Amazon Prime, the actual the address to the American people where he does the I am not a crook line mm-hmm. and I love just watching that over and over again like mm-hmm. wondering what this what is the psychology of someone who is delivering that line knowing that he is a crook yeah it's because like politicians are narcissists and and he really is a bad guy I mean like I, this is a thing that I hate because we've been bashing the fucking left so all through the podcast see all this stuff about like the bad boys of Brexit Aaron Banks 
wrote a book called The Bad Boys of Brexit. You're not bad. Right? You're, you're not bad. You're a wee knob. You're not fucking Nixon. You're like You're like the pests of Brexit. <laughs> yeah, the irritating uh, Twitter pests of the Brexit. The nasty rash <laughs> of Brexit. Scott, in a Scottish development, though, we've got to bring it back here. Ruth Davidson is gone. Ruthie, Ruthie, she's gone. You've been checking out all the... You've been going through oh, Stephen man. Baisley's history. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like yeah. insane oh, takes man. on Ruth Davidson. So, so he, wrote, uh, he wrote three articles about her departure in, I think, two days. Uh, but one that I read is called A Tory of Gut and Grit. And here are just a few highlights from it. Personal grit has been in Davidson's blood from the start, but she has been hardened by struggle. I love that, right? That sounds quite Trotskyist. It sounds a bit Maoist, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. like or it definitely it's hardened definitely, by struggle. Hardened by struggle. I yeah. love saying that. I, I mean, I have been hardened by struggle, yeah. and by hardened, I mean crushed <laughs> <laughs> and remade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She is referred to in this article, and it is long, and every single paragraph sounds like this. I mean, there's, I've only got a few selections here, but there's also stuff about things like, if you want to understand Ruth Davidson, you need to know where she comes from, right? And it turns out, if you read the article, where she comes from is her dad's a small business owner, and she grew up in relative luxury, right? <laughs> That's the Tory way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but she's referred to variously as Boudicca in a power suit. Oh. I love that. Like, yeah. I just, I wish it was um, pantsuit yeah, instead of power the suit. Like, there is like nothing that says professional liberal kind of politician like pantsuit. Yeah, and that was like Ruth Davidson's sort of like that was her shtick. Mm-hmm. That was her USP that she was like the sort of acceptable liberal face of yeah. the Scottish. But still, kind of a bulldog. Do you know what I mean? No nonsense. She's also described as a five-five firecracker. <laughs> It does read a bit like, you know what I mean, like some old carnal Tory member uh, is sort of, you know, totally in love with her uh, and writing. Because there's there's, there are a lot of articles, right? Uh, I mean, I love this bit. In the coming days and weeks, her would-be successor will be put for will put forward their credentials, but all will be judged against the metric of the woman who went before them, and all will be found wanting. And then it says. Ruth Davidson is the Scottish Conservatives. And that's their emphasis there. Is the Scottish Conservatives. Now, I thought that this was bad. And by the way, there was like a swarm of these articles mm. descended upon mm. us, right? Like locusts, right? And you have to understand, uh, Ruth Davidson is like the ultimate media confection. Mm. Um, the, there's a small coterie in the Scottish press who love her and are addicted to her. And it's almost worse down south because she's like this lion of the north who was going to rescue the Conservative project from Brexit, right? And indeed, as I was looking through Stephen Daisy's blog, if you don't know who this guy is, by the way, he's the former digital editor at SDV and a hardcore neoconservative. How that happened, and I never tried to hide it. I mean, his time when he was in charge of digital at SDV, an unusual number of articles accusing Corbyn of being a sort of Hitlerite suddenly appeared uh, on the website and never tried to hide it. His, he has this, uh, this, this blog full of articles about Ruth Davidson, non-stop articles. 
uh, how Ruth can save the Union, why Ruth is going to be the next First Minister, and also lots of articles with titles like Brexiteers Can't Handle the Ruth and <laughs> An Inconvenient Ruth. <laughs> so that's Ruth Davidson. So that's Ruth Davidson, You Can't Handle the Ruth. You Can't Handle the Ruth uh, and An Inconvenient Ruth. One of my favourite um, Stephen Daisley takes was this like big essay that he wrote in, um, I think it's, it's the Scottish Daily Mail. Um, it, it was like the headline is the SNP tried to silence me and their freedom to bully, vilify and malign is a chilling glimpse of one party Scotland. Jesus. Do you know what I mean? I think that makes the SNP sound super sexy. Yeah, you wouldn't know from that article that it's a really boring managerial party. Yeah, would you it? wouldn't think it's just like the administrators of Scottish Parliament. Like, it's yeah. just like blah, blah, blah. Like, that makes them. that. I mean, that sounds like the Soviet Union. Yeah. In like the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, th- th- this, is who, this is who the press are, and not just in Scotland. They're usually sort of nads and obsessives who are personal friends, or more tragically, think they are personal friends with public figures. Like, Ruth Davidson does not have any actual friends who are journalists. She just has half a dozen guys who she tags along and has done so through her whole career to add a varnish of sort of political principle to what is essentially just a cynical career. So I'm not actually defending um, the gagging of journalists in a sort of Soviet Union style, but I do, uh, I do think that Stephen Daisley should be gagged if he's going to write headlines like "You can't handle the Ruth." Yeah, yeah. I think that that is like crimes against language that are unforgivable. Yeah, I don't know what happens to all these guys now who've been writing these articles. Presumably they work on uh, biographies. Yeah, there'll be a biography of Ruth Davidson. Yeah, uh, there already has been one and it left out uh, the crappiness of her career and the fact that she's not made any impact on Scottish political life whatsoever. Ruth Odea. Ruth Odea, <laughs> yeah, is another good one. <laughs> I feel like there should be more, but my brain is a bit frazzled. I'm so disorientated with everything that's going on in politics right now. Yeah. Um, all that I know for certain is that this is not a coup. Mm. fear not people we are not under a dictatorship mm-hmm. but I really do like my view is that I really hope there is a general election mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that we can we can get the Tories out like yeah. that that needs to happen yeah uh, and, and hopefully that's a development because it would be one of the most historical elections uh, in, in modern British history Corbyn versus Boris Johnson but I hope as well that that general election can break down the accumulation of sort of authoritarian politics on both sides of a false divide yeah. between Tory and their hangers-on and the ruling class and Liberals and their supporters and the ruling class. I've got to hang on to hope yeah. that we can do that. And maybe next week we'll be able to... I'll be able to feel sort of less brain-fried. I think it was because in that first episode we were making fun of, like, brain degeneration. Mm-hmm. Like, I've now caught it. It's like my mum used to say, mocking's catching. Yeah. And like now I'm like, I don't know what's happening in politics. And I do feel like Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've absolutely run out of things to say. Yeah. And on that note... Uh, we'll leave you. I think there are outro music should be this week. Um, we are not going to Brexit. <laughs> cool, let's go for it. Let's absolutely go for it. 
Um, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's episode. Um, we'll hopefully have a, another episode out on Monday. Um, unless there actually have been a coup by then yeah. um, we have been gagged by some authoritarian state yeah. <laughs> um, so please subscribe to the podcast um, you can do that on SoundCloud and hopefully we'll have the uh, podcast on iTunes as well um, you can also tweet us um, any abuse again yeah, yeah just whatever on Twitter <laughs> our DMs are open why do people say slide into my DMs don't know it sounds I, very sexy yeah it's too sexual too right. sexual for John Knox anyway yeah so um, don't slide into our DMs please politely knock the door yeah <laughs> into our DMs but yeah you can also follow developments with Contour and um, our website and get updates on Contour events uh, by following Contour on Twitter and that's at Contour.scot at Contour.scot <laughs> at Contour.scot